Today is Wednesday, January 7th, 2015, and this is an interview with John and Quarter guitarist Shane by Nick Perkel. Now, Shane, starting things off, can you tell me a bit about your history as a guitarist in the Seattle death metal scene in the past 20 or so years? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been playing guitar since I was a kid. I didn't start until I was about 14 or 15, and I loved Jimi Hendrix, and I just loved Black Sabbath, and I wanted to be in a band, and I wasn't very good, and I didn't have very good gear, so I ended up being a singer for a while, and eventually I got some better gear. I got a little bit better, and I tried to do some bands and this and that, and uh in the early 90s, I finally started getting something going, and I stumbled upon people that used to have a little magazine around here called The Rocket. It was more of just a, a paper, and you could find uh, band members. Finally stumbled upon a drummer, and he turned me on to a bunch of different people, and uh, one of those people was, was Herb, who was the singer from Tron and Quarter. And I kind of stumbled into him around 1991, 92. He was in a band. I was in a band. Mine was Plague Bearer. His was Butchery. And there were several other bands, Disbelief. And we all kind of swapped members and shared band rooms. And Disbelief became Blood Ritual. Butchery played a show. They fell apart. Plague Bearer played a show. We fell apart. I combined forces with some of these people, and uh, me and Herb, and one of his band members and me and the drummer from Disbelief, we made a demo in 93 and, uh, you know, just kind of put it together and started doing shows. So since 1993, Herb and I have, you know, we changed the name to John and Colder after about a year, the drummer. And we had for eight years, Matt, Matt Kaysen. He wanted to change the name. We came up with John and Colder, so... Since about 1994, 95, we've been drawn and quartered, but we started out as Plague Bearer. And uh, I was just some guy who played guitar. I had crap gear. I didn't know anything about death metal. I mean, I'd been playing metal or guitar, you know, just regular old metal and whatever. But, like, what the hell is this? I mean, death metal, it was an amazing new step in metal, like Morbid Angel and Taking crash to a new level and uh, blew me away, and I found out what I wanted to do: incantation, morbid angel immolation, monstrosity, DSI, napalm death, and then the black metal, immortal, and mayhem, and dark throne. And of course, all the thrash, Bathory, and Sodom, and Slayer, of course. All that shit just influenced me. And um, finally figured out how to develop some songs. So, yeah, there you go. That's how it all kind of came about. And I was just uh, lucky I was able to talk these guys into wanting to play in a band with me. I was a nobody. I didn't have anything going. There were some amazing bands here around that, that time. These guys were, I mean, if they had gotten a record deal or something, some of these bands, you know about them right now, but they didn't make it. People who didn't make it, they quit, they gave up, whatever. They're gone, I'm here. So the only reason, you know, anybody knows about us, because I will not quit. We'll never stop. I'll never quit. I'll, you know, 
I mean, we haven't had, I mean, we're way out here in Seattle. There's no really anywhere to tour from here. I mean, it's to California, Texas, but there's a huge chunk of land. And anytime we have to tour, we have to cover a lot of ground. And it gets expensive. So just up here, and, you know, we'd like to fly out and do some shows and, and whatever. But, uh, yeah, I finally have a drummer that can tour now. And uh, looking forward to getting back out doing a lot more shows this year. Please speak about how long the current lineup of Drawn and Quartered has been around for. All right, so the current lineup includes uh, Simon Dorfman, our drummer now, for the last couple of years. Herb on bass and vocals. He started playing bass in Drawn and Quartered in 2008-ish. After our tour, our bass player quit, and uh, during the tour, so when we got back, we kind of rebooted the band back in 2008, and it took us a while, a couple of years, to write a record and for Herb to, you know, build up to the level to be able to do John and Quarter. And, uh, you know, we finally made a record, and it took another few years for the record to come out. So we're going on five years since we recorded that record, uh, Beating Hell's Furnace. So the current lineup is me, Kelly Shane Kasimba, Herb Burke, bass and vocals. I play the guitar. Simon Dorfman on drums. It's where our three piece is in. We had a guitar player for a while who's a great friend of mine. My good friend who did help me a lot right on this new record. So we are a three piece. We did have a guitar player for a while. Bo, Bo Galloway from Gravenlock, who's my longtime friend. I've known since he was in disbelief back in 93. We shared drummers, shared band room, and I wanted to be in a band with him forever. And in any event, that's the lineup. We're a three-piece right now. So. For your band as a whole, what is the typical process you guys go through when coming up with an idea for a song to have it being ready to be performed live? Quite a while now, whenever we write a song, we're usually writing a record. I'm usually writing a record. And we use most of what I come up with. I mean, there might be some ideas we'll toss out, songs we'll scrap, but for the most part... When we're writing a record, I mean, when we're writing a song, it's for a record. It may or may not go on the record. Usually the way it comes about is usually I, I, I'll either write it entirely or I'll have riffs. Every song's different. Every song's constructed differently. But I mean, fundamentally, I've always, will always have come up with a few whole songs and a few catchy riffs. So I've got something to start with and then riffs to bounce off people. And, uh, you know, of course, everyone contributes something in some way. I mean, I, I might have a complete song arranged and everything, or I might just have a few ideas. Really, a song can go through a lot of, a lot of changes, a lot of people's hands, a lot of ideas, refinements, rewriting. But for the most part, really what I do is I'll find a spark, a spark of something's going to spark off an idea. What's it going to be? Usually it'll be, I'll be watching TV randomly, doing whatever, and some kind of horror movie will be on. Anytime there's a horror movie, I like to pay attention. Sometimes I'll record it. Sometimes I'll just pick up an idea right from it. But they're always using some dark keys. There's always some diminished, minor, classically influenced shit. I mean, um, <clears throat> musical ideas in horror movies, so I have borrowed a lot of themes and ideas from horror. Basically, use the kind of devices that, and I try to make them catchy. So something dark, something disturbing, something something on in that vein, and then try to make it catchy. 
so you want to hear. I, mean, I hear a lot of death metal, and there's brutal this and incredible that. But if you don't want to hear a song again, what's the point? I mean, doesn't matter how fast you are or this or that. I get bored. I've heard this shit or his music or many, many faster and this and that and more brutal. It doesn't really mean much to me. I've seen as brutal as it can get. I want to hear a song. So I don't think, you know, I don't write every song on the record, every track on the record to be a song. Some of them might be more abstract. Some of them might have a different flow. But I like to have at least a couple that are kind of traditional songs, something that you can catch, something that you addicting, something that's haunting. I mean, uh, I'm very influenced by the Beatles. I like to hear, I like, think there's some interesting things about pop. But what is it? Is that it attracts the ear. I want to make a death metal song or a record that anybody can listen to. They might not love it. They not might not buy it. And they'll hear it and go, that's good. That's pretty good. I'm not into that kind of music, and I don't understand the vocals, but that's pretty good, or that's catchy, or that's... There's something redeeming about it, you know what I mean? I mean, death metal's kind of harsh. I mean, when we started doing death metal, it was just lo-fi. I mean, no excuses. No one was thinking about big, you know, productions. Nobody had any kind of money like that. And so the stuff that we're influenced by, I and mean, that's been a resurgence people are interested in, is kind of lo-fi shit. I mean, music. So now to take those influences, refine them, but still retain the same character. But, you know, with modern production, and, and we haven't achieved that yet. <laughs> but I mean, that's what I'm striving for. What song from Feeding House Furnace were you most pleased with the outcome, and why was that? Yeah, I was going to listen to that record again, so I have a better answer. Um, I think the last song, yeah, I should have the uh, CD in front of me, because I can remember the title. Obviously, Mutilated Offerings is one of my favorites. And it's on the 7-inch, and it's a track that we love to perform. Got some cool solo parts on. We also were playing Stab Wound Invocation, and uh, that was a collaboration between me and our old drummer. And I think it came out really cool. This record was kind of unique. It was the last record we played with. We did with Dario. He was in the band for like 11 years. So, I mean, that was a sad... And, but I mean, it is what it is, and it's cool. I mean, I'm so lucky that I found a drummer that really wanted to be in the band and wants to tour. But Dario contributed a lot of ideas to that record, so it's a great collaboration. He wrote some of the riffs, the Dabbling in Vocation. And then there's uh, another one that I really, used to really enjoy playing live, and that was called, it was called Consecration, Cryptic Consecration. That one was really fun to play live. The last track on that record is fucking really cool. And it starts off with kind of a doom riff, and it's called No Absolution. So I think No Absolution is definitely one of the coolest songs on there. Our World in Ashes, too, is one we used to play a lot with Dario. And Feeding House Furnace itself was a song that I wrote entirely and just brought into the band, and we learned it really quickly. And it's just a crushing, shorter song kind of harkens back to our earliest days, just kind of slamming, death metal, crushing. So, I mean, those are my favorite songs from that record. Mutilated uh, Offering is probably one of the best songs, definitely. You've been rehearsing about 10 songs or so for the next Drawn and Quartered album. What have been some of the more inspiring and exciting moments working on this album that really stand out in your mind? 
Well, when I was tinkering around with some of those ideas from the horror movies, and there's just no limit, no boundary. And I love to incorporate lots of strings in the guitar and chords and arpeggio type of droning, haunting, melodic guitar ideas interspersed with just the traditional, just brutal thing we do. And I've been doing that for a while over the years and uh, just kind of worked and developed a song. And I also have tried something else, something new to kind of, it was really cool. And I detuned the strings. So I'm doing a drop A tuning. We tuned the B standard. So I dropped one string down um, to a drop A and fooled around with that and came up with some really cool droning Black Sabbathy type ideas. Uh, I got one, and I kind of wrote some lyrics for it. I usually, I don't really write lyrics, but I want to make sure we'll be able to play one of these new songs for our shows. Got a couple shows coming up, and uh, I'm calling it, I'm not sure yet, but tentatively, Dispensation, Rise of the Antichrist. So I was watching a little documentary about the Antichrist and people believing he's coming this year and that year. He's coming. He's always coming. The Antichrist. Got to be prepared. And, all this stuff and you know, just, uh, I like to keep it dark. So that's one one song idea. I, I really love that song. And we wrote three songs. I got three songs put together with this drop A tuning. And I'm gonna use the regular tuning too. There's another one that's got like kind of a, a doom intro. It's kind of a doomier song. I love. I started writing this riff years ago, um, back in 2011, probably. So some of the riffs go back for a while. The first three songs we wrote were kind of based on stuff we were still rehearsing with our last drummer. And then I was inspired to complete the record over a period of time with help from Bo and uh, Simon and and Herb. So yeah, we've got ten songs in the, that one. The first three are really cool, too, and one of them, I don't, I don't, doesn't really have a title yet, but we call it Number One. <laughs> that's, that's tall right now, and uh, that's, I think it's just a great song. It's got some catchy parts, really cool. doesn't have a title yet, maybe I'll write it. I think Herb has something going for that one. But, yeah, I mean, we're, I'm hoping to have these songs together. We want to play some of them live, you know I mean? I don't have all the guitar parts that I'll have on the record yet written, really, but we can play a version of these, some of these new ones. It should be really fun. We've been focusing on just this record, really, so we haven't added any much more new songs to our set yet. I'll see what I can do, but we've got kind of a core set we've been playing. But it looks like we'll have to be playing some new stuff, so it'll be pretty fun. We're not like Slayer, who has to play rain and blood every time or anything. I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, we got some songs that we definitely wouldn't want to leave out of the set. You know, like Hail, Eternal Darkness, Return of the Black Death. But, yeah. So, the new album. Kind of working on how we're going to get it recorded. Uh, we're ready to record. We're just trying. We're not going to go back to the studio we've been using for the last 10 years or whatever. 11, 12 years. So, uh, the new age in recording. We're working on getting this going. We'll be doing some drum tracks here in a few weeks. So, and also, I've got a couple of splits, too. So, i got a got a couple of other songs I'm putting together because we're doing a split 7-inch and a song for a compilation. 
with the head splitter records and I got a live tape that I want to put out with two tracks hopefully in the next couple of shows. So Can you tell me about your three favorite compositions from this upcoming album? So yeah, I just said number one. I think number one is really cool. The doomy ones, I don't have names for them. So, uh, and then this one I just discussed uh, called the uh, Dispensation Rise of the Antichrist. So I think those are three great ones. I think the whole thing is great because I wrote every, pretty much every, every note of it. So this is for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time on any record where I've actually written. I think I've pretty much written every note of the record. Now I've had the help with the arrangements and ideas and whatever bounce ideas off. But yeah, I'm real happy with every riff. When you're judging your own work, it's really hard to love every part. There's always something that you, know, you didn't like or you could have done better. But right now I'm feeling really good. We've been developing this music for a couple of years now, so really had a chance to refine it unlike sometimes where some things could have been improved or i think the material going in is outstanding but i'm really looking forward to getting this recorded and done because i'm looking forward to writing a brand new record with just us three after we've had this chance to you know, play for a while that's when the stuff's gonna start happening really great music when you have a lineup together for a while I really feel that chemistry really helps, you know what I mean, with a, with a band. That's why we've always had, I've always just wanted to, I don't like adding new members very infrequently. I don't really want to deal with new people. I don't really want to deal with too many people at all. The less people, the better. Tell me about what you're planning for your set list at the Famine Fest. And I guess what albums will be featured the most? Yeah, it's sure like we have probably 70 songs in our catalog you know we got a new album so we got over 70 songs there's quite a few to choose from unfortunately we're really just not doing anything from our first album right now but uh i will be adding a few songs from that in the future but we're definitely doing two songs from our second record extermination revelry and we're doing two songs from hail infernal darkness and we're doing let's see we're doing songs from, I think we're only doing one song from Travel Like That. And we're doing like three, three from uh, Feeding Hell's Furnace. So we got like about a nine song set of older material. And then we've got probably three or four we can do of the new ones at this time, maybe even more. Yeah, I want to make sure, I'm going to try to add some more songs. I mean, there's, we only got a couple of weeks. I think I can probably get maybe one more new, one more old song, and we can certainly plow through any of the new ones. We can't wait and start playing them, but we wish we had a, a product out. And we just, uh, we're not really on a label at the moment. And I'm just not able to do a bunch of mail orders, so we just don't really have, personally right now, we don't, we aren't handling any merchandise, just a little bit of stuff we'll be selling at the show, but... Looking forward to putting together some online availability of our products. I mean, they're out there. Distributors, Odin has, Moribund has, I think, all the records, all the five records that he put out. I don't know if you can get Feeding Hell's Furnace. I'm sure there's distributors, but but that's the set. I got 19 songs we can play right now if we don't add any more. I don't think we'll get a chance to play that many. Not all of them will have lyrics. Tell me about 
tell me about some of the merch that will actually be selling at Salmon Fest for people. I don't really have much merch right now. We have a little bit of shirts, but they're old, old shirts. Unless I don't see us being able to get anything new at the moment, unfortunately. I think I'll have all the CDs. I think I'll have some vinyl copies of Feeding House Furnace. I might have some seven inches left of uh, uh, another great song that I really like called Conquerors of Sodom. The band decided to pull two songs off the record back in 2010. And we did a seven inch uh, before the record came out on Nuclear Winter. Nuclear Winter also put out seven inch, has four songs called Conquerors of Sodom. It has two songs that are not on the album or CD. And uh, I should have copies of that. I should have DVD. We also made a DVD that has our three videos on it, which I think are really cool. It has a little live set. And it has a bunch of bootleg stuff. I think I might even have copies still of uh, our Plague Bearer 7-inch, Rise of the Goat, uh, I did quite a few years ago with us. Basically, it's a side, we did it as a side project, Plague Bearer, Rise of the Goat. That came out on Nuclear Winter. That's kind of what got me hooked us up with Nuclear Winter. I think that came out in 2004, or I recorded it in 2004. Came out a few years later, but Plague Bearer, Rise of the Goat. Should have copies of that. So we'll have the music. I don't have a lot of shirts. I'm working on getting together the live set, um, some live recordings from these next couple shows. Hopefully, if there's anything usable, we'll put together a live tape. That would be cool. Um, and we're gonna re-release some of the demos. So we're probably gonna get the cassette of the Plague Bear original demo, which is fucking awesome. 1993 Bubonic Death. Got four songs, about 15 minutes. It's Herb and I. Danny Hodge plays bass. He was also on John and Quarter in the early days. And uh, the drummer is Dave Procopio, who was in Disbelief. And members of Disbelief actually became Blood Ritual, who put out a couple of records on Moribund. And uh, our artist did artwork for their first record. So there's a lot of ties there. That Plague Bear, it's pretty classic. It's a pretty awesome um, demo, and we'll probably have the John and Quarter 96 demo out, cassette redone. <clears throat> yeah, so there's a split 7-inch that we're going to be doing, and there's a song on a compilation cassette that we're going to be doing. So i got to get my recording situation figured out. We're probably going to buy some gear eventually and just start doing a lot more in-house stuff but yeah a lot's going on man i'm excited can you explain the mindset of your band from being signed by the stateside moorbund records in washington to transferring over to uh nuclear winter records in greece we're talking about really underground music there's not a lot of commerce going on in this we're doing something we love doing and uh you know i mean we're still able to do this and things are picking up and you know there's possibility you could make a little bit of money doing some touring or whatever. But um, Moribund, Odin, I met him in 92, 93. He was at the earliest shows that we started doing and was distributing our demos from day one. It took until 2002 before we actually had him invest in a record. I mean, we, we financed our first record. We did a pressing. He did a, a second pressing and distributed it. And then he paid for the next four records. And everything was fine as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we're not rich. We're not making a ton of money. 
for whatever reason, uh, when we did our next record, being Hell's Furnace, we weren't we weren't obligated. We were off. We were paid off on our contract. There's no reason why we couldn't go on more of them, but I mean, we just thought we'd try something different. Really, it was just a band decision, and um, there's no hard feelings, animosity, or we're not like off more of them. I mean, we're just we're not on contract right now. We don't have a contract with them, with Odin right now. But there was no contract for Nuclear Winter. We financed the record. I think that he actually paid for the artwork, but we own it. We have it. We own our records. And um, unlike with Moribund, I gave him the rights to these records, those records, so he could put us on the map. I mean, he did a great job of just making things happen. Did a lot of merch and made this band happen. But, you know, I sacrificed that work, those records. I mean, I, you know, they, they're more of one records. I don't own those. I can't do anything with those. I mean, we're, he's helping us license uh, Halo Infernal Darkness for vinyl release. That's our third record, uh, fourth record, actually. And I can't wait. That's one of my favorites. So that's supposed to get a vinyl release. I'm looking forward to that. I'm still talking to Odin. We're still working together. And, uh, we may work it together again in the future soon. I'm not sure yet. A nuclear winner um, doesn't, as far as I know, is not active at the moment. And I have no idea. I mean, we have no contracts. I haven't talked to Anastasis. I don't think I've ever talked to him. I've emailed him, written letters. Dario, our old drummer, basically, he kind of... Uh, was mainly involved with uh, having them released, having Anastasis from Nuclear Winter and Dead Congregation release that record. Um, we'd already done that Plague Bear thing with them years before, and uh, it was really cool if he did the 7 inch for me too, and I'm really happy with it. Absolutely 100% pleased with the record and everything he did and Nuclear Winter did. And everyone seemed to notice Nuclear Winter like he was really doing something, but it's just an underground record label. I mean, there was no contract, no promotions. They put out a re- our record. We own it. I probably, I want to repress it. We're working on getting partners to repress things and uh, release our records and maybe finance future things. Yeah, there's not much to it. Um, I mean, Odin basically runs uh, more of on records with an intern or, you know, it's a one-man operation, just one guy working his ass off, dedicating his life to music, making a lot of releases. So I've never had a problem with being on Moribund. I mean, I don't know what people think of his records or him or whatever, but it's always done me right. And as far as I'm concerned, we wouldn't even be known at all if we hadn't gotten together with him and he financed me making a bunch of records and videos and a DVD and a bunch of merch. You know, he took quite an investment in this band. <clears throat> I never had a problem with Mormon. He always was trying to help us get on a bigger label. So he's dealt with me squarely, so... I'm happy to be with, have worked with more of them, and I'm happy to have done the nuclear winter. Everyone seems to have noticed it, and they really thought that was something. I don't know what, but <laughs> cool. You know, we get recognized. I just want people to hear the music. I'm you know, not gonna, probably not going to make a living doing death metal. I live a pretty good life right now, and I wouldn't want to lower my life, my standard of living, relying on playing music or death metal. 
there's no health system, no health care, no retirement, no no dentist. Death Metal doesn't have a very good retirement plan, so I've got to have my life together so I can do Death Metal. And uh, I'm not really worried about the business aspect. I'm looking for, you know, people to help me with that. I don't have time, nor do I really care about that. I'm an artist. You know, obviously, we need some help getting our stuff promoted and distributed and recorded and you know, people help up. You know, it takes a lot of people to make a John and Quarter record from the artist to the layout to the people who let you use their band room to a friend who helps you arrange a song to a guy who used to be in the band and helped write a riff. There's a lot that goes into a record and it takes time, but we were on a roll at one point and I think I'm about to get back to that being able to crank out some records in a short amount of time once I have figured out how to get them recorded. Because I can write songs all day, but I don't have, I can't remember 10, 20, 30 new songs, so I need to, to lay down some of them so I can keep writing. But yeah, that's the story of the record label. In the many years you've been a musician, what is something a younger musician should realize about getting to perform at festival concerts? Well, festivals are a lot different than your normal local show or even a tour. You've got the short amount of time, it's complete clusterfuck. Everything's late or different times or breaks or it's dark as shit. Things are always dark. There's no light. I think the thing you should know is be flexible. Be, be able to use other people's gear. It's best if not a bunch of people are bringing their own shit. The more gear we can all share, the better. So I figured out a little rig that is a lot easier to carry them up. Hey, young bands out there getting ready to play a metal fest. They're probably going to be playing early in the day. Sorry. I mean, a young, what do I have to say to a young band playing a fest? You're playing early in the day. And there's not a lot of people there. So you got to be careful with these fests. Um, the draw to the fest are usually what's costing some money. The promoter has to figure out a way to get some people there. So they're going to have to pay somebody that got terrorized for this one and engorged to reunite. So that's their draw. That's their draw for the show. And we got John and Quarter, you know, who were playing before the headliner. So I don't know how much people that will draw. I mean, that adds to the pot. We're not quite to the level of a band where people are going to fly across the country or around the world to come see yet. You know, depending on the kind of festival you're playing, you know, you got to be realistic about what the turnout's going to be. You know what I mean? I mean we're playing the Tonic Islands. That's not uh, an arena. So it's going to be a little dusty, sweaty little show. And it's going to be probably packed. It's going to be awesome. Um, fortunately, you stick around long enough, maybe you can play later in the night. So, you know, fortunately, we'll be playing a little bit later in the night. I'm not even sure when I'm going to get there because I'm going to have to work the day before and the day after. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what I could say to a young band other than just be careful with these stuff because uh, <laughs> if you live in Portland and you're playing a fest, that's great. But if you're driving, we're coming to Maryland to play a, a pre-fest show. I mean, you know. I don't have a guarantee. I mean, they're going to give us some money, but, uh, you know, it's going to cost me some money. It's an investment. It's something you got to do. You're going to have to invest a lot of time. You want to be in a death metal band? 
You know, you're probably not going to make any money at that. Probably not a lot of people ever make money playing death metal. So be prepared for that and be prepared to invest time and money into something. And the return is really satisfaction of just doing what you like doing. If that's not enough, you might want to reconsider doing this because, you know, there's not much of a financial reward. Um, not the kind of reward that I'd want to live on. <laughs> I mean, you could... People can make a living at it. It's not much of a living for me. Uh, I'm sure even Morbid Angel has to do something for a living. Uh, be realistic. Do it for the love of it. Final words. For me, well, and then I'm sure, I don't know who would be listening to this, but uh, you're probably not going to fly out to Famine Fest. But hey, man, maybe someone will post some videos. Maybe somebody... If you want to check out John and Quarter, the music's everywhere. It's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on whatever. So check it out. If you can find copies of our records, buy them if you like it. Doesn't hurt. Check out some of that merch. Create a demand. Contact me on Facebook, and maybe we can see you on the road. So that's about it, man. Friend, friend, John and Quarter. This has been an interview with John and Quarter guitarist Shane by Nick Perkel on January 7th, 2015.